I'd like to do one little thing before we uh, get into the sermon for the day. Uh, let me introduce what I want to do by telling you an old story. Back when I was in college, I played some basketball for a church league here in town. We used to have a pretty competitive uh, church league, not among the Churches of Christ, but among the denominations. It was a citywide thing. and It was pretty competitive, and one of my old high school friends uh, recruited me and a number of other guys to play for a large Methodist church here in town. And uh, most of us had never been in a Methodist church. Uh, quite a few of us had never been in a church, I think. Uh, but anyway, I recruited some ball players, and we played for a number of seasons. But one year, we won the league. And uh, my friend said, you got to come to church next Sunday. And I said, i, I got to do what? And he said, yeah, you got, you got to come to church. They're going to recognize our team. And so I said, well, I don't really want to, but they did pay my way into the league and all that. So I thought I owed them at least that much. So I went to their services. And I thought, this won't be bad. At the end of the service, they'll probably have us stand up and embarrass a little bit, clap for us or something, and that'll be it. I was wrong. Uh, the entire service was about us. I'm not kidding. The, the entire ser- the, the sermon was about us. Uh, there wasn't much Bible opened that day. And this was really strange for a Church of Christ boy. Uh, I'm sitting there and thinking, you know, we don't recognize people's achievements on earth. Uh, we talk about the Bible. But they turned the whole thing over to celebrating our accomplishments as a, their basketball team. Now, in one sense, I understood uh, because they hadn't beaten First Baptist for decades. You know, <laughs> I mean, the old men were coming up after you. Oh, thank you, thank you. We finally got them, you know. Uh, so I understood that part. But in another sense, I was pretty sure this is not what God had in mind uh, when he called his people to worship him. Uh, that's not what it's about when we're together. And I tell you that because I want you to know I know that. But I also know that we're told to honor, give honor to those to whom honor is due. And so a little bit of honor, I think, is just fine in the church these days, and especially since I'm talking to teens uh, today. And this happens to be Kansas High School State Championship weekend. Uh, we have some very athletic teams at Northside. Always have and always have a few of them each year. But it's very rare to have a state champion at Northside. Uh, that just doesn't happen very often. I uh, kept started trying to think back to the ones that we've had in the past. It's been a while since we've had a high school student who has won a state championship in any sport. Uh, this year we happen to have two at Northside, uh, and I personally think it's worth a little bit of recognition and honor. Uh, so let me embarrass a couple of young ladies. Uh, first of all, Katie Sandlin. Katie Sandlin plays soccer at Trinity Academy, and yesterday they won the 4-1A to state soccer championship. Katie, stand up, please. Do a little 360 here. Congratulations. Quite an accomplishment. And our other state champion is Brooke Eberhardt, who plays at Augusta High School softball, and they won the 4-A championship on Friday. Brookster, stand up, please. Congratulations. 
uh, quite an accomplishment, and I think it's worth honor due. Uh, we did have one other young lady who's a freshman who was on the medal stand four times yesterday at the state track meet, but never on the gold stand. But uh, she got three more years to get there. And uh, Shaylan, I can't tell them who you are until you get that gold. And then, then, then we'll talk about it. But quite an accomplishment for a freshman. All right, there's the recognition part. And uh, now let's open the Bible a bit and talk about some other things with our teens. I entitled this, Whose Faith Is It? And to illustrate or to get us started, I need to tell you another old story. Uh, this one even older, from high school. Uh, when I was in high school, 1966 was my senior year, and we basically back then, you, if you'd kept up with your classes and got the credits you were supposed to, you had an open hour or two in your senior year that you could fill with an elective that didn't really matter much or uh, you didn't need a too good a grade in, but you wanted to pick an easy one that you'd get a good grade in. Uh, a lot of the guys signed up for home ec, home economics. I know they call it something different today, but signed up for home ec, and they thought they could be in a class with a bunch of girls, and it sounded reasonable. Uh, so that was one way to fill that open hour. I looked the schedule over and decided that I would try woodwork uh, and not Many college-bound students, shall we say, took woodwork. It was more of a vocational kind of thing, and I thought I would be interested in it and try it. And I'd talk to the teacher, Mr. Jones, who was a really neat guy. And so I got into woodwork class. And we started with a project. We had to build one thing. Everybody had to build the same thing. And it was a project that used all the basic tools. You had to learn how to use the saws and the drills and how to cut angles and how to make joints and how to sand, and you had to learn how to do everything. Uh, that project was a stepladder. Now, it wasn't a very big stepladder, but it was a stepladder. Uh, that was the size it was, and we all had to make one. Now, it really wasn't that hard. The, the tricky part was when you got all done, you had to set it up on the table saw where you had a good flat surface, and you had to level the legs out so it was all level. Well, I got mine level pretty quick. I followed Mr. Jones' instructions. I did it just right, and I got it pretty level. Some of the guys didn't pay very good attention, and their ladders kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter. <laughs> they'd put it up, and it'd wobble a little bit, and they'd cut that leg off. Whoops, that was a little much, and they kept cutting. And so they didn't have much of a step ladder when they were done. Um, but that was really the only hard part. Now, I took mine home. Uh, my mother, of course, thought it was brilliant. I was the most talented child ever to graduate uh, from high school, having made an actual stepladder. Uh, we put it in the basement. We used it some, uh, probably to get up to a high shelf every once in a while, but not much. Went to college got married, left home, uh, no room in the car when we moved for the stepladders, which stayed home. Uh, Dad kept it. Dad used it. Uh, you can tell he used it for a workbench and a painting bench and a sawhorse and a little bit of everything and probably occasionally got up on the top shelves with it. I moved around and owned our own home a number of places, Illinois, Massachusetts, Iowa, came back to Wichita, Never had a stepladder. 
every place we were, we never had one. Uh, to get up on the top shelves, we'd move a chair or do something, stack something up and get risky and shaky and get up there, but no good solid little step ladder. In 2008, that's a long time after 1966, uh, Dad moved out of his house and fell to me to clean it up afterwards, so to get it ready for the, the sale. And as I cleaned in the basement and moved things around and shuffled things over in the corner, wow, there was the stepladder. There was the old stepladder. I picked it up, blew it off, dusted it off, turned around and looked it over, turned it upside down. My name right there. This is Steve Tandy's stepladder. And, and he used it in a long, long time. Took it home with me and have it at our house now. It's a good, solid stepladder. It's still solid and level after all these years. The thing will hold over 200 pounds. Support it well. You want me to show you? Okay, let me look for somebody here. <laughs> no, it, it will. Uh, now, that may be an interesting story, or it may not. You got to see an antique, at least. Uh, but the reason I tell you that story is, I want you to think about whose ladder was that? It's been alive for 48 years. Whose ladder was it over all of those years? It started as mine. I mean, it's got my name on it. I created it. I made it. But I never used it. I didn't claim it. It didn't do me any good for all those years. So whose was it, really? Now, as you think about that, I want to ask you the real question. I want to talk about your faith. I want to ask you that question that's the title of this sermon. Whose faith is it? Now, as a generalization, our young people, all of us at that point in our life, uh, start out with our parents' faith. I don't know if you paid attention when uh, the passage was read, 2 Timothy 1, 5. But listen to what Paul said to Timothy, and Timothy was a very faithful young man. Great belief in God, great life. Paul said, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. That's the way faith works. In some families, now I know somebody's got to be the first generation uh, to learn about God and to believe in God and have that faith that Paul's talking about. But in most families here, uh, it's a generation or two in among our teens. I know there's exceptions, but as a generalization, faith starts as your parents. Maybe it started as your grandparents and then became your parents. Well, they taught you the Bible. They taught you what they believed. They raised you to have a faith. But that's the question this morning. Is it your faith? 
And, and I know I'm talking to the teens, but there's some older folks out here that could ask the same question. Is it your faith? Uh, to be your faith, you're going to have to use it. You're going to have to claim it. You're going to have to test it. It needs to transfer that generation. Being in dad's basement, that stepladder didn't mean no good. It wasn't mine. But when it transferred to my house and I started using it, I can truly say now, that's my stepladder. Actually, Cindy uses it more than I do, but it's still my stepladder. <laughs> now, you've got to go through that step. You've got to test it. You're going to have to do that sometime. You can't just go on with your parents' faith, what they've taught you, and make no question about it or just say that's the way it is. You've got to test it. Now, some of you already have, but all of you are going to have to if it's to become your faith. Maybe use another illustration. Some of you are getting ready to go to college in a few months. Some of you have already been to college and remember those days. Uh, that transition there over the summer from high school to uh, going to college, had, how many of you have had your laundry lesson? Yeah, I see a few smiles. A few folks understand what that means. Uh, basically, when you're growing up, you've got clean laundry now. But for a lot of you, you don't take any part in that. You throw it in the right basket, and then it magically appears in your dresser somehow. Yeah, clean, ready to go. Some of you grew up with that and think that's the way laundry works. Uh, if you're going to go off to college, you're going to have to learn some things. You're going to have to test some things. And at some point, your mother will probably say, okay, I need to show you how to do this. And she'll take you through the process and all of that. And at that point, it's good to pay attention. I remember my very well my first week of college. I'd paid attention to my mother. But I remember a lot of guys that hadn't, and they were on their phone asking, Mom, how come my underwear is pink? <laughs> you know, if you don't pay attention, that'll happen to you. So that, that transfer has got to take place of what your parents know and believe and have faith in, to your own. Uh, why am I talking about this? Why am, I, why am I spending a whole sermon talking about whose faith is it? Because all the, the surveys, all the studies, all the research says that we don't do very good at making that transfer. The studies say that of kids that are raised in church that their parents teach them faith and get them involved in church. And not all parents do that, but the ones that do, out of all of those, 60% of those kids don't stick. They don't stay. They don't end up with a faith of their own. They don't make church and faith a part of their life. They go off to just live a secular life in the world where, where church and faith and all that is not a part of it. Well, basically, all the studies show that. None of them have a reason. 
All of them come up with four or five or six different reasons that maybe that happens, but nobody's got the one answer. Now, 60%. We had, I think, 15 senior graduates this year. Uh, That would say over half of you not going to ever have your own faith. Uh, I think Northside does better than that average. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we do. I mean, you count and look. Uh, we don't have an exact number, but I think we do better than that. For I, I think there's some good reasons we do better than that. Uh, I think we probably teach a little bit better here, and I'm not bragging or anything. I'm just saying from what I've seen, I think we do. I think we've got uh, some intergenerational things that other churches don't have. Prayer pal and things like that, I think, help our kids develop their own faith. Uh, I think just the the tenor of Northside, that we're kind of serious about the Bible and growing up in Christ and all that, I think that attracts families that are more interested in that. They're not interested in a place uh, for their teen to have fun and uh, party all the time. It's more about growing up in Christ. So I think you put some of those things together, we we do better than 60% failure rate. Uh, I think Toby's a, a big reason we do better than that. Uh, he's an unusual youth minister. Uh, most of us don't interact that much with, with youth ministers other places and all that. Uh, I've seen quite a few at events and meetings and all of that. Uh, Toby is a rare young man serious about the Bible and about growing you kids up in, in Christ, uh, just look at the summer schedule you got. Uh, there's a few fun things on there, and I know all of it will be fun in one way or another, but there's some really serious things on there. So, some mission things, some serving inner city people, to, to working with a church plant, to uh, serving the, the needy. Uh, those are all chances to exercise your faith. You do those kind of things, and you get that experience, and you begin to ask, you know, okay, I'm doing this for Christ. Does that make sense? And you don't just go to amusement parks and keep your parents' faith all summer. You get to test yours. You get to exercise it. I think it's a lot harder to get out of Northside's youth group and just be totally clueless about your faith. I think that can happen some places. I think it's pretty hard here. Uh, there are youth groups and churches where you, you just go and you have fun, and you, yeah, you got to learn the list of do's and don'ts, but you never question, you never doubt. Uh, maybe your parents raised you with such a tight rein on you that you know you never met a sinner. You don't ever have to question anything. Well, you're going to have to. You're going to get out in the world, and you will be tested. Uh, in, in lots of different ways. There was a recent movie about called God is Not Dead. I haven't seen the movie. But as I understand it, the premise is that there's an atheist professor that challenges a young man in college uh, to prove that there's a God. Now that happens. And sometimes when we talk about your faith, that's what we think about. We think, oh, you're going to run into an atheist. They're going to ask you to prove that God is. Well, okay, you're going to have to think through that. You're going to have to think through why you believe that God exists. But I don't think that's the number one attack. 
Uh, I don't think that's what you're going to run into as a problem mostly. Uh, in fact, I personally believe that Satan and the world don't much care if you believe in God. As long as you never act like it. I don't think they care if you believe in God a bit. As long as you don't act like it. As long as your life doesn't show it. Look at the next few verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Paul says to Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to live a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. See what Paul says? This faith that your mother and grandmother had, it lives in you now. And so don't be afraid to testify about God, about your faith. Don't be afraid to mention it. And then he says a holy life. Don't be afraid to live like you believe in God. Don't be afraid to live like you've been taught as you've grown up here at Northside. See, speaking up and saying that there's a right and a wrong, living a holy life, acting different, that's when you'll be tested. As long as you keep your faith in God untested by kind of being undercover, you'll never have it tested. It won't, and it won't ever become your faith. But you get out there and start to try to live the right way, it'll be tested. And I think you guys have got it tougher than, than, than I had back in the, the 60s because a couple of things have changed. One thing that has changed is that an exclusive faith, and that, by that I mean a faith that says something's right and something's wrong. An exclusive faith is now wrong in itself. Okay. I, I grew up in a period when that was okay where people reasoned and logiced and we argued about things and you either proved your point or you didn't and everybody admitted that there was a right and a wrong. That doesn't happen today. Uh, today, if you say that there is truth, that there is a right and there is a wrong, you're a hater. You're just judgmental. And you're just dismissed with that. Well, you're just a hater. You know, I, I never heard that in my life. It's different today. An exclusive faith is wrong in itself. So if you're going to speak up like Paul told Timothy to and say, no, I believe there is a right and a wrong, you're going to catch some heat. You're going to get your faith tested. Okay. And secondly, I think that today's climate with the way secular humanism has taken over is that a Christian... The, the title Christian and intelligence are incompatible. The, the world dismisses Christian beliefs as, well, they're just, they're just dumb. They're just ignorant. They, they don't know anything. And the higher up you go in the education world, especially secular education, I think the more that becomes true. You get more and more discrimination. 
as you go along, because that's just the way the world is these days. So I think those are a couple of things that I didn't have to deal with that you're going to have to deal with. Uh, but you boil it all down, there's nothing new. This has all been going on since the beginning of time. You go back to the very first testing of faith. God told Adam and Eve, that tree right there, don't eat of it. This is right, that's wrong. That's where he started. And Satan started exactly where he still is today. Satan got Eve and he says, God didn't really say that, did he? God didn't really mean that. He didn't mean you couldn't eat from that. That's the silliest thing I ever heard. That's, that was Eve's test. That's your test. Now you're going to go out in the world with the things that you've been taught are right and wrong by your parents, by your teachers, by your youth minister, by me. You're going to go out there and the world's going to say, you don't really believe that, do you? That's when you've got to decide. That's when you're going to figure out if it's your faith or not. You can go undercover. You can join that 60% say, all right, I'll leave that with mom and dad, but I'm going another direction. You can do that. Or you can think through it and make it your faith. So that's my message this morning is is you're going to have to work on making your faith your faith. Uh, You can't stay in your folks' basement and do you any good. You've got to make it yours. Now, two tips on how to do that. One, I'd say exercise it. Go ahead and question. Maybe you haven't been taught to question. It's okay to ask. Yeah. You read through the Bible, those of you that are reading uh, through the whole thing this year, or uh, as we went through it in years past, or as we went, did our study of Old Testament characters and all that, man, if we learned anything, it was that the great people of God questioned God. Okay. Moses. Job, Thomas, all of them said, man, I don't get this. I need some explanation. Okay? And you've got to ask those questions. You've got to think through it. You've got to talk to folks that will help you figure it out. And that, that would be my second tip is use the resources that you know. We've we got resources here. You grew up with them, most of you. You've got people that when you hit that test... When Satan says, you don't really believe that, do you? Well, yeah, I do. Well, why? Well, I need to, I'll get back to you on that. That's okay. So I'm going to think about it, and I'll have an answer for you. Get back to somebody. Uh, call Toby. Call me. Call, call your prayer pal. Ask. In fact, let me give you a scripture on that. Second Timothy 1.13. Paul just keeps going here. Paul says, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Now, when I read that, I don't want you to think I'm equating myself with Paul or I'm not claiming infallibility or anything. Uh, And I don't mean just me. I mean everybody here. You've got a pretty good education at Northside if you've paid attention. We spend a lot of time in the book. We spend a lot of time on different topics and various topics. And we've been through a lot of different things as you teens have grown toward your your teen years. Uh, when you get somewhere and you hear something that's very different from what you've heard here, the red flags ought to go up. That's what Paul's saying. 
Paul's saying, what I've taught you, that's sound doctrine. And you keep that as the pattern of sound doctrine. You go somewhere and somebody tells you something different than I've told you, you better ask some questions. Yeah. Now, I don't mean you've got to do everything exactly like we do. There's no other place that does everything like Northside. A lot of things we do, we do because of tradition or because we're comfortable with it or it's right for us. But most of the things we do around here, there's a scriptural reason. So if you get somewhere and you start running into things, I don't know about that, call and ask. This is a pattern that you've been given, a pattern of sound doctrine. Uh, You've been blessed to, to be at Northside, I think. All right, uh, after my ladder project here, let me tell you one more old story. Uh, Mr. Jones told us we got to pick our own project, build anything we wanted, anything we thought we were tough enough to build. And he kind of had taken an interest in me for some reason, and I guess because I leveled my ladder out so well so quick. But anyhow, he kind of liked me, and so he, he suggested a few projects, and I picked a jewelry box. I guess I should have brought it, but I forgot to. About that big. And with a bevel lid. And he had it all figured out how this would be beautiful and a flat top and all that. And he explained it to me. He spent weeks up in the wood bin looking for just the perfect piece of walnut to make that out of. He was he was real interested in me making a really good project. So I made it. Came out great. I've used it for forty eight years. Still do use it. It serves me well. It works. I'm still proud of it. Now, I hope you see the difference there. I hope that your faith proves to be a little bit more like that box than my ladder. You can do that with faith. You can leave it in the basement and ignore it, get no good out of it, or you can use it every day and get some good out of it. Be thankful that your faith that lived in your parents can now live in you if you work at it. Take it out. Write your name on it. Use it. Make it your faith. The lesson is yours. If you're here today and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with anything that's on your heart. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.